Lord, it has been our joy to witness this morning evidence of your work in the lives of Susanna and Grace. And uh, we are uh, coming to you uh, on the back of having sung that our hope is in your word. We realize that this is how you have decided, decreed that you will work by your word, through your Holy Spirit. And so as we come to Matthew's gospel, to what are words that are so familiar uh, to many of us, words that we cherish and love, we ask, Lord God, that you would please um, shine your light upon these words, uh, that we would understand them anew, that we would uh, be reminded by you of crucial, central truths of the gospel we profess. Uh, But Lord, that you might help us to understand perhaps new things in your word, not that we might become puffed up with our knowledge, but that we might become uh, even more inflamed in love for Jesus Christ. Uh, So we ask for your help, Lord, that word grace that we use so readily, we use again in prayer. Would you please uh, show us grace, do to us more than we deserve in these moments. And we pray that we might hear the voice of our God just now. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I think you'll know this feeling. I'm sure you're gonna know this feeling. Uh, You wake up in bed and you're a bit drowsy and uh, you're trying to get your bearings. And all of a sudden, you try to think about the day ahead and you realize, you realize this is a day, you've woken up to a special day. You know that feeling? So you're uh, a bit drowsy, you wake up, you think, well, what's the day ahead? And you realize that you have woken up to a day of unusual consequence. Okay, I'm sure some of the younger people uh, in the room uh, know that feeling all too well. You wake up with a big bed head. And you wake up, you're trying to work out what does the day ahead hold? And you realize, wait a minute, it's my birthday. Or, or you wake up and you, work, you realize, what well, it's the first day of the holidays. That's a good feeling, isn't it? Or the best of the lot, you wake up, you try, what's, what's the day ahead hold? <gasps> it's Christmas Day. You know that feeling, waking up to a day of unusual uh, consequence. Well, as we open our Bibles uh, together this morning, is there not something similar Uh, happening in here because, yes, I'm pretty sure all of us know that all of the Bible, all of this book is God-breathed, isn't it? All of it living, all of it active, we we know this. But if we can talk about high points of the Bible, it's not what we've got in front of us, one of those. I mean, you think about it this morning, we get to come into church and we get to contemplate this morning for a time the miraculous birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I get to contemplate just now, actually, more accurately, the miraculous conception of Jesus. Isn't this one of the high points? Isn't this an opportunity? Isn't this something special? And surely because of that, doesn't it make us come to God, look to God just now? Yes, with, 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 with a, 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 a sincerity, yes, but does it not, the, the, the matter at hand, does it not make us come to God just now with a greater sense of expectation? So if you've got a, a copy of Scripture, either physical or in your phone or iPad or whatever it is, 
Let's have Matthew uh, open in front of us. And, and let's go for that really cheesy thing that Presbyterian ministers are known for doing, that twee thing with three Ps and an appeal. You've heard of that. Three points, but three Ps. And let's, let's just go down that route uh, this morning, and I'll, I'll, I'll put your mind at rest. The first point is longer than the other two. So don't panic later on in the sermon, please. But if you've got Matthew open in front of you, first of all, let's consider Jesus' person. Jesus' person. That's the first thing that we need to think about this morning. Now, soap operas on TV are something that tend to be dying out, I think. Is that right? Dying out in this country. But there was a time uh, when soap operas were absolutely synonymous uh, with this time of year. Isn't that right? So if you, years go by, if you're, if you, yeah, years behind us, I suppose, if you can think about it, if you're of a certain vintage, you'll remember the Enders and Coronation Street and even like Brookside and things like that. They always used to be fighting out to have sort of Christmas drama. Isn't that right? There would always be this big battle to have the big soap opera, the big Christmas crisis. Well, in our section today, this morning, certainly as far as Joseph is concerned, we have a crisis on our hands, don't we, in Matthew's gospel, as far as Joseph is concerned. But before we get to it, I think we have to wrestle with just one word, and that is the word betrothal, or to be betrothed. Can I just ask, what do you think about when you think and hear that word betrothed? Like for me, it's, it's very much a sort of antiquated word maybe for engagement. Is that just how we think of it, is it? Betrothal, engagement. You know, you're reading a historical novel, Maybe, and what do you read? You say, oh, darling, have you heard Rufus is betrothed to Tabitha? You know, that sort of antiquated idea of engagement. That's how maybe we think about it. I think it's obvious for me to say, but I think it's important for me to say that it was very different in the ancient world. We know this, do we? So in first century Palestine, to be betrothed, it meant something much more binding than we would have in our heads. In some ways, it's almost to be betrothed was like the first of two stages of marriage. Did you follow that idea? So first, what would happen is that you would become legally bound to a person. That would be the first stage. That would be your betrothal. The second stage would be that you would actually move in and begin your relationship, your life together in the ancient world. In fact, you know what? You can see it from the text, can't you? Like, just from the fact in verse 19, Joseph, although they're just betrothed, he is referred to as Mary's husband already. And the fact that Joseph has to countenance the idea of divorce if he is going to sever this relationship. Did you see it? You see it? Now, what are you thinking? <laughs> what are you thinking? Maybe you're thinking, this is a bit long-winded, this stuff about betrothal. Are you thinking that? Doesn't it help us? Like, doesn't it help us just now to, to understand something of this massive apparent crisis that we've got on our hands in, in Matthew chapter 1? Because you see the situation. What's the crisis? That though Mary is betrothed, legally bound, before that second stage of marriage, before she's actually moved in and they've come together, what's the crisis? We all know the crisis. You can almost hear the EastEnders' drums in the background about it happened, can you? At the end of the episode, what's the crisis? What's the moment? Mary is found to be with child. She is found to be 
pregnant, EastEnders drums. Now, if we had longer, seriously, would it not be helpful and interesting for us to look at and to consider uh, Joseph's response to this apparent crisis? Now, you maybe noticed it, did you? There's two things. There's one, he is called a just man. Now, that is almost a technical term for the fact that he, in this crisis, is determined to obey God's law. So he's a, a, an obedient man. So you have that, but you also notice what else? You also notice how merciful he is. Do you notice that he does not want Mary to be exposed to, to public shame? And isn't there lots that you and I could learn there? Can we un- unpack that a little bit? I guess, I suppose, guys in the room, again, Christian husbands, again, it's us in the spotlight, isn't it? I mean, come on, could the same things that are said of Joseph be said of us as husbands? Are are we men who are determined to lead our families, maybe through a crisis, but in obedience to God's word? Or guys, Christian husbands, are we merciful? Do we treat our spouse at all times with love and with the compassion that Joseph shows. If we had longer, right, we would want to get our teeth into that, but we can't. We all know why not. We've got a bigger fish to fry at this point because what do we have to wrestle with just now? Like, who's responsible for this? She's pregnant. You know, out in a sense of wedlock, who's responsible? And verse 18 makes it very clear to you, doesn't it? Mary is pregnant. What are the words? By the work of, by the, work of the Holy Spirit himself. Now, like, I, I don't have to tell you, any of you, that this right now is an incredible moment in Scripture. This is a big moment, isn't it? This is like a seismic moment. Come on, a, 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 a virginal conception. Like, this is something that has never happened before in the Bible. This is something that will never happen again in the Bible. This is a massive moment. So, to be honest with you, what I think we need to do is slow down right here. Slow down. And I think you and I just need to to address a couple of questions that we've got about this miracle, this, this, this virginal conception, a couple of questions. Don't you agree we need to slow down over this miracle, the Christmas miracle? So two questions. First one is this. Who or what, the Holy Spirit, who or what are we really dealing with here? Holy Spirit, who or what are we dealing with? Now, will you allow that question? I mean, you could see it as being patronizing in some way, but would you allow it this morning? I mean, after all, there's young people in the room, aren't there? Young people listening online, maybe people who are new to Christianity in the room listening. And is it not good for you and I to be reminded about those essential things? Who or what? The Holy Spirit. What are we dealing with here? Well, let's make sure this morning at St. Peter's, we avoid a really, really common mistake. Now, listen to me. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. Isn't it the case that you and I can slip into thinking like that? And can't we sometimes slip into praying about the Holy Spirit as though the Holy Spirit is an it, an impersonal force? What do we have to be clear about? That's not right. The Holy Spirit is a he. He is a person. He is the 
third person of the Trinity. And maybe this morning you can see it, can you? Like mention here of the Holy Spirit in Matthew's gospel. What would have happened? Mention here would have had those Jewish readers that we talked about last week rushing back in their minds to Genesis 1, wouldn't it? To the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters. What else would have happened though? Can you not see it? Matthew mentioning the Holy Spirit here would have had all of the Jewish readers of this gospel rushing back to this plethora of Old Testament prophecies that promised what? That when the Messianic age came, the dawn of that Messianic age, that the Holy Spirit would act in peculiar ways, unique ways, miraculous ways. Who are we dealing with this morning? We are dealing with the very Holy Spirit, the person of the Godhead here. That's question one. But then there is another question. What does this mean, this conception that we're dealing with, that you and I are so perhaps familiar with, what does it actually mean for who Jesus is? The person of Jesus? What does this mean, conceived by the Holy Spirit? What does that mean of, of our Lord and of Jesus? Well, I'll be frank. I'm going to need your help. Because there's a question, what does this mean for Jesus? But I, I really want to break it apart and, and, and try to provide two answers to that question. And unless you're with me, I'll fall apart, <laughs> basically. It'll get too complicated for me and I'll just fall over. So you've got the question, what does it mean that he's conceived of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean for Jesus? Two answers. First is this, that Jesus is born of the Holy Spirit means that he is fully man and he is fully God. And I know that you know that. And I know that you've heard that a thousand times. He is fully man and he is fully God. But I want you to go out of this church building this morning armed with the, the theological term for that so that it might help us in the years to come. So what we are dealing with this morning is what is called, you know it, do you? The hypostatic union. Have we heard that? Are we familiar with it? We are now. The hypostatic union. What is that? That is the reality that, that, look, Christian friends, somehow, and it is unexplained to you and to me, isn't it? It is so mysterious, but somehow within Mary, a miracle is occurring. Now listen, within her very womb, what is happening is that something new, a new human nature is being added to something old. So a new human nature within her womb is being added to, listen, the pre-existing divine nature of the Son of God. Do you follow? And what does this mean? This means that this child that is to be born of Mary, it is, yes, it is both human and it is divine. This is two natures wrapped up in the one person. And it means that actually at the end of this service, we, you and I, we are going to be able to sing with accuracy of Jesus to Jesus, veiled in flesh, the Godhead, see, hail the incarnate deity. This is fully human, fully divine, two natures, one person. 
But then we get to the lesser considered answer. So we know the question, what does it mean that he's conceived of the Holy Spirit? The second answer is this. Jesus, that he is born of the Holy Spirit, means he possesses perfect humanity. Perfect humanity. I am so conscious uh, just now that at this time of year, um, we'll have visitors to um, St. Peter's. And that's a wonderful thing. So we'll have visitors in person, but you know how it's going to be, perhaps, that we might have people who are new to Christianity and they're simply just tuning in, maybe at this time of year, just find our, our feed on YouTube and they just tune in and they tune in for trying to get a Christmas service. We know that's the case. So I'll be honest with you, this, though it might seem very simple to some of you, I want to make sure that every single one of us and to those who are joining the, the live stream as well, every single one of us want to make sure that we are familiar with the story of fallen humanity. We are, even the younger people in the room, every one of us knows it, do we? We know that our first forefather, first man, Adam, sinned, right? We know it, and he fell. And what does the world cry out just now in the 21st century? So what? Adam sinned. So what is the the big deal? But we know, don't we, as professing Christians, that from that very point, Adam has passed on to all of subsequent humanity that sinful nature. Now, I, I, I long for you to hear this next, but please get it. Listen to these words. Through our fallen father, through our fallen fathers, all of us in here have received what? We've received what we could call an inherited corruption from our fallen fathers. And then you come to Matthew chapter one, don't you? And now you begin, don't we, to realize why this is absolutely amazing, why this is exciting. Because what do we see here? We have a child here who is conceived differently. We have a child here who is conceived without the involvement of a fallen human father, a child conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. That's why it's wonderful. Here, born to Mary is one who is not tarnished by sin as he comes into the world, is a child who is born perfect. Yes, humanity, full humanity, but a sinless humanity. I think it is our confession that puts it well. Just listen to the words. Puts it best. Jesus possesses all of the essential properties of humanity, all of them, but because of his unique conception, what does the confession add? He possesses all the essential properties of man, yet without sin. Yet without sin. And so perhaps it's maybe the younger people in the room who will hear this next bit. Throughout your lives, you are going to be bombarded with voices that try to ridicule what we are dealing with in Matthew chapter one and the virgin conception of the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout your lives, you're gonna hear people try to sideline that, marginalize it, say it is absolutely ludicrous. I'm not talking about fellow school friends or people at university or whatever it might be. I'm talking about people in the life of the church. 
I'm talking about ministers. I'm talking about elders who will laugh at what you've got in Matthew chapter one. And I want to appeal to you, to the younger people, stand firm on Matthew chapter one. Stand firm on what you've got in front of you. You've got to understand biblical Christianity, it stands or falls on the virgin conception of the Lord Jesus Christ. It stands or falls here. Why? Because here we learn of the Holy Spirit in action, don't we? We learn of God at work, God taking to himself for the benefit of his people. He takes to himself perfect, sinless human nature. So we see, first of all, Jesus' purpose. Second of all, don't panic, remember? Second of all, we see Jesus' purpose. Uh, Jesus' purpose. So we've seen the origin of this apparent crisis uh, for Joseph, but now as we move on, we come to a quintessentially Christmas moment, uh, don't we, this morning? And it's a moment that's formed the sort of basis of many Christian songs and nativity plays and all that. What's the moment we come to? There is an angel, an angel appearing and appearing and addressing Joseph. Now, I think there are so many things that we could focus on with this angel. And we could focus on the fact that the angel commands Joseph to be the one who names the child. Now, friends at St. Peter's, do you see why that's so important? Why has it got to be Joseph that embraces Mary, doesn't pursue divorce, embraces the child? Why? Because Joseph is from the line of David. Do you see? It's only if Joseph names the child that legally Jesus will be recognized as in the line or the lineage of David. So we could focus on that. I suppose you and I could focus on the name itself. What is the name of the child? I think everybody knows it's the name Jesus. But instead, what I want us to do is focus on the actual explanation that the angel gives for this in verse 21. So I wonder if we can just project it on the screens just in case we don't have a copy of Scripture. So it's the explanation in verse 21. It's just beautiful, isn't it? Not even just the explanation, but the fact that God permits Joseph this knowledge. God does not have to tell Joseph this explanation, yet he does. What grace is there? Now, uh, what is it? You shall call his name Jesus. And what's the explanation? For he will save his people from their sins. Let's just, can we, please, just focus on that. He will save his people from their sins. Now, um, I'm sure you're with me when I say that Americans, they tend to get a hard time in the 21st century, don't they? Americans uh, tend to get a lot of stick uh, in the 21st century. It's often very unfair, but Americans get a hard time, I think, certainly in the media. And that's certainly true of the American church, isn't it? American evangelicals, they get a hard time. Uh, if you follow these things, if you're on social media and Twitter, uh, you'll know that there's one particular criticism of American evangelicals just now. What's that? Um, that they are taking their eye off the ball. The criticism now, listen to your minister. I am not saying that I agree with this. I am just saying it exists. Uh, but American evangelicals, they are accused of being too politically minded just now. Isn't that right? So they're accused of being, yeah, they're up in arms and they're zealous. 
but not for the Lord Jesus and the gospel, but much more for COVID conspiracy theories. And they're really zealous for, for Donald Trump and, and so forth. Now, again, I'm not saying this. I'm just reporting this. Uh, but what I do want to say to you uh, is that there's nothing new under the sun. And yes, at the time of the incarnation, there was so much fervor and anticipation about the coming of the Messiah. Do you remember we talked about that last week? Expectation about the coming of the Messiah. When the first century world, it was boiling over. It was reaching fever pitch. So yeah, that's true. But what you and I have got to keep in mind is that that expectation was politically orientated. What did the first century Jew expect? A Messiah who would save his people from Rome. A Messiah who would come and save his people from, from occupation. This, this to the Jewish reader would have been shocking to read. Now, again, I'm very conscious of who I am uh, speaking to this morning. This is not an evangelistic rally, is it? This is not an apologetics seminar. This is the church, and you are people who not only know this expression and explanation, you are actually a people who, by God's grace, have embraced this truth. Isn't that right? But this is what I long for you to do. Just for a moment, come back to me. And just for a moment, regardless of how long it is that you have been a Christian, would you look at those words on the screen and would you ponder them anew today for a moment? Jesus Christ, what is it? He came to save his people from their sin, from their sin. Linger on it. What does it do? Let me ask you, what does that presuppose? He came to save his people from their sins. What does it presuppose? presupposes that Jesus' people needed saving. And didn't we? I think we know that this oh, inherited corruption, this sinful nature that we had received from our forefathers, it had, now think of it, it had rendered you from your mother's womb an enemy with God. You came into this world armed ferociously with rebellion, the weapons of rebellion against God, set to face what? Set to face God's righteous anger at all of our evil. It's not sugarcoat it. All of our wickedness, all of our rampant ungodliness. But what else does that angelic expression, explanation, what does it do? It makes so clear to you the purpose of the Lord Jesus in coming. He came to save his people from their sins. And, and don't you just, just want to break it apart for a moment? Like, do, do you know that old hymn, uh, Rock of Ages? Do we know that hymn, Rock of Ages? I don't know if we've sung it here since I've been here, but Rock of Ages. Do you know that wonderful line in that uh, hymn? Again, I won't sing it to you. But do you know it? Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed, I wonder if you can fill in the blanks, be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Linger on it. Do you see that Jesus Christ has come to save us, his people, from the double effects of sin? 
So he has come to save us from the guilt and the power of sin. He's come to save us from the guilt of sin, to save his people from the penalty that were due, from the punishment for our sin. But what's the other side of it? He's come to save us from the power of sin. Think about that. Jesus came to save us from the dominion of sin. Came to set his people free that we could, even today, you and I, are liberated, redeemed, so that we might be able to act for the glory and the good and the honor and the praise of Almighty God. Isn't it marvelous? When you linger it, when you break it apart, he came to save his people from their sins. Isn't it marvelous? And if you are a believer, aren't there two words in that angelic explanation that you cling to probably more tightly than any other? What does the angel say? Do you see it? You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save who? His people from their sin. Don't you cling to it? That yes, it's true that throughout the centuries and throughout the world today, there are perhaps multitudes of people that are passed over and who are not included in that number. But what do you know? If you are a Christian, if you are born again in St. Peter's this morning, what do you know? Such is God's love that all of this Christmas story All of this great miracle that we're dealing with here, it happened, why? It happened for you. You know if you're a Christian that Christ came to save you from all of your sin. And then briefly, and in closing, the third thing, we've seen Jesus' person. Chris, you can bring that down, that's great. We've seen Jesus' person, seen his purpose. I think though there has to be a last question as we conclude, don't you? Like, if you, if you think about the logic of this, we've seen who Jesus is. We've seen that this is the God-man. So we've seen who Jesus is. Then we've seen what he's here to do. We've seen the purpose for which Jesus has come. What's the logical question that we ask then? The last thing that we ask is, well, how is he going to do this? God-man has come to save his people from his sin. How is Jesus going to do this? So thirdly, we think about Jesus' process. And I think we'll put the words up on the screen from verses 22 and verse 23. So you think about how Jesus is going to do this. Read it with me, will you? All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. I think if you've actually got a copy of the Bible in front of you, some of you do, you'll actually see, if you just look at your page, or the first couple of pages, you'll see what that is. Because you see from the indentations that you've got in the first couple of chapters of Matthew, do you notice how there's a few indentations? You'll see that this is the first of five Old Testament prophecies that Matthew quotes in the opening chapter. So these are obviously Old Testament prophecies that Matthew sees as being fulfilled in the coming of the Lord Jesus. But that's fine. What of this particular one here? What's this? Well, this is, of course, a quotation from that section of Scripture that Colin read for us earlier on in Isaiah 7, a section where King Ahaz was promised a sign in the face of his rebellion. Now, We don't have time to go into all the problems with Isaiah 7, whether this child that Ahaz was promised, whether there was two children, like one in Ahaz's time and one in the first century, or whether this child that was promised just was a long time in coming. We don't have time to go into that. Instead, what I want to do is zero in on those last words you've got on your screen, 
And the meaning of the name, what's the meaning of the name Emmanuel? God with us. I want to say to you, St. Peter's, is that not the answer to our question? How is it that God is going to save his people from their sins? God was not going to do this by some remote action. God was not going to do this by some distant device. God is going to save his people. How? By condescending to be with us. I hope you embrace it fully. You understand that the God that we worship in here is not the same as the God of other monotheistic religions who just think about God above us? And the God that we worship in St. Peter's is not like the God of mysticism. They believe, of course, that God is just all around us. And the God that we worship is not the God of atheistic thought. What does an atheist think? That God is just beneath them. No, our God is very different. Our God is a God who has come to us to act for us, to be with us in the person of his son. And again, pass it out and break it out. Yes, you think about this moment. What do we have here? We have in Matthew 1, the God who created the universe, the God who put the sun, what is it, 150 million kilometers away from us, the God who did that by the strength of his word, we have him here, that God crying as a baby, crying to be fed by his mother. Yes, that's true. But consider the life that the God-man would lead. What does Jesus go on to do? But he hungers with us, doesn't he? And he's faces sorrow with us and he faces grief and bereavement and he faces pain with us the god man he goes on to to face rejection and where does it all culminate what's the the end the climax of it all isn't it absolutely tremendous to think about it that because of that perfect perfect humanity the God-man for us goes on to lay down his life as the once and for all atoning sacrifice for our sin. God with us. Why? Why with us? To have his blood, his own blood spilled to purchase the church. As we close, let me just deal with a thought you might have, an objection you might have if you're a Christian. Because you could say to me this morning, that's all very well, Andy. But as I come into the church this morning, I feel utterly bereft of the presence of God, even as a Christian. Is that you? You come in here this morning and, and you say, I feel nothing in my life of God's presence. Yes, I have repented of my sin. Yes, I trust in Jesus Christ. But God to me today seems silent and distant Yes, Christ came in the first century. God was with them. But in the 21st century today in Dundee or Brody Ferry, where is God? And maybe you say that as a Christian. If so, I end with something important, I think. Um, I wonder if you remember what an inclusio is. Do you remember what that is? Uh, A device in scripture where the author has book ends on a portion of scripture in order to make a point. It begins and ends in the same way to make a point. Do you remember that? Do we get the inclusio here? I love it. 
I love it. Matthew begins his gospel, how? He begins it with Emmanuel, God with us. He begins here. And we've read it earlier on with grace in the baptism. How does Matthew end his gospel? He begins here, Emmanuel, God with us. He ends Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. He begins God with us. And Matthew ends the gospel looking to you, whispering to you and saying, Jesus is, and I will be with you. I will be with you until the very end of the age. Christian friend, this morning, right throughout Christmas, you embrace this truth. If you have really looked to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, he is to you today and he will be forevermore Emmanuel. He is Emmanuel. God in Christ is God with you and he is with you for your everlasting salvation. Friends, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, not simply for an opportunity this morning to consider what we see as one of the high points of Scripture, this amazing, uh, unique miracle we have here. But we thank you not so much just for the time to observe it. We thank you for the reality of this virginal conception. Lord God, no mind could conceive this, no human mind. This is of you. We thank you for the great work of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. We thank you for the coming to earth, Son of God, the Christ, the God-man. We thank you that he came, that his blood might be shed and shed for the forgiveness of our sin. Lord God, may you be praised. Amen.